Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Today we have Dr. Lisa Nelson, who's the Director of, the Medical Educa- Director of Medical Education at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And Kripalu is the largest yoga training facility in North America and, dare I say, the most beautiful. She <laughs> is co-author of Yoga and Diabetes, which was published by the American Diabetes Association. And she works with numerous community groups throughout the Northeast to increase awareness about the treatment and prevention of chronic disease through changes in exercise and nutrition. Dr. Nelson has presented her work at the U.S. Capitol and the Library of Congress. And today we're going to focus on uh, a subject that Dr. Nelson is an expert in, and I know a lot of my listeners have questions about, and that is bone health as we age. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, likewise. I think our listeners would be really interested in hearing about your take on staying healthy and preventing disease. I know that you've talked about the medical model being extremely successful uh, for certain types of things, but it doesn't teach us lifestyle uh, behaviors that can be very important. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, one of the things that I do at Kripalu is I teach programs for clinicians, for nurses and doctors um, and other health professionals. And one of the things that I like to remind those of us who are Western trained is that the whole um, really the framework of Western medicine is around what we call the acute disease model or even the infectious disease model. And there are very good reasons for this in the last century between, you know, about 1900 to 2000. And especially in the early, um, you know, part of the last century, the three biggest threats to our health, the three biggest killers in the U.S., were actually tuberculosis, diarrhea, and pneumonia. Mm. So when our medical institutions were being established, both our treatment facilities and our training facilities, you know, infectious disease was really the biggest threat. But over the course of that century, because of advances in public health, like sanitation and housing, um, 
and also treatment, we, you know, reduced the threat of those diseases incredibly. Um, just an incredible reduction. So that now in this century, um, the biggest causes of death are heart disease, cancer, and lung disease. You know, so it's a it's an enormous shift from you know kind of acute uh, diseases that can strike all of a sudden to these chronic diseases that develop really over a lifetime, over over many years. And so our our institutions. You know, it really made sense that there's this focus on acute processes, but now times have changed and the threat from what the World Health Organization calls NCDs or non-communicable disease or basically non-infectious disease, that's really what we're all struggling with. So some people are sometimes surprised and dismayed to learn that nutrition education is not even a required part of the medical school curriculum. Mm. It's actually elective and, and many medical schools include it but not all and so it's just not a big part of our training and therefore a lot of clinicians don't feel comfortable and so we just don't even bring it in the room. You know we'll kinda throw diet and exercise out there with little finger quotes around it and not get super specific with people you know, who usually want to know, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what do you mean diet and exercise? How and what and, and how much? And so one of the things I've really tried to do is actually stay within the canon of Western medicine and use what we call evidence-based medicine um, to look at what is the science? You know, what, what have we learned about the healthiest ways to eat and the role of exercise, not just in preventing, but also slowing the progression of diseases that might already be present. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a hopeful message, um, you know, that we can keep uh, things away from us, but also even if we're diagnosed with, say, type 2 diabetes or um, high cholesterol or high blood pressure, there are often things that we can do that... Um, can definitely improve our health, sometimes can even reverse the condition, um, but definitely improve our odds of, of doing well in the future. So that's my main point. When you were in medical school, what were you aware of this sort of deficit of nutrition education? Or were you kind of going along with the curriculum and then later uh, discovered that you wanted to integrate more lifestyle uh, changes? I think that's a great question. I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I entered school, medical school a little bit later. I had already been out in the world and working. I studied political economy, so I had maybe a slightly different uh, framework for how I saw the world. But, you know, when you're in medical school, um, you know, you're just working really hard to stay up on everything they throw at you. <laughs> so I was really, you know, sticking with the plan and, and trying to learn it. And, and, you know, everything's fascinating and it's, and it's at a really uh, high pace. And the way that my medical school taught nutrition was a very, a very Western kind of reductionist approach, which was by the vitamins. Vitamin B12 does this. Mm -hmm. If you don't have enough, we call it this. In excess, it looks like this. And, you know, so B12 and B6 and 
you know, vitamin K and really it was, it was only two weeks and it was, you know, nutrient focused, but there was very little that was integrated. And of course that's not really how most people think about their foods. Um, mm -hmm. And I also don't think it's actually a very accurate way of thinking about food, you know, foods, there's a complex and beautiful biochemistry there, especially when we're talking about whole foods where all the different phytochemicals and nutrients work often together. And so this plucking out of, you know, one nutrient um, to talk about what it does is, is not the full story. And this is, I would say, you know, really evident in our discussion around bone health too, where the focus was placed and still is often on calcium. And we don't hear a lot about magnesium or vitamin K or whole foods or all the other factors that may also contribute to our bone health. And I think um, you would probably agree with me. People are really trying to do the best they can, but we're so barraged with conflicting information. Even those of us who are, you know, somewhat in the field and pay a lot of attention to this kind of thing with, you know, it's just so hard to keep up with fats are good, fats are bad, right. fats are good, grains right. are bad, you know, yes. intermittent fasting, yay, yes. no, you should eat yes. every two hours. And, you know, <laughs> most people don't have the time yes. to try to go back and look at the scientific uh, you know, uh, papers right. and literature. And I find that, you know, my clients are just perplexed yes. at like, what yes. should I even do? Yes. Um, and it's maddening. Yes, no, I wholeheartedly agree. And, um, and, you know, studies often, um, you know, depending on how the study is done, it may have a particular bias or the patient population. So, um, so even though I'm, I'm a fan of studies um, and evidence-based practice, I think we also have to hold it a little bit lightly sometimes and, and not get super stressed out uh, around these, um, you know, kind of do this, don't do that, and try to pull the lens back and say, well, what do, what do we know about human physiology? What really makes sense? Um, I have to say I'm a huge fan of Michael Pollan's work, mm -hmm. um, and and I think for people who are interested, his book In Defense of Food mm -hmm. is just a great, you know, funny and well researched, oh, yeah. and you know his his famous rules about you know eat real food, mm -hmm. not too much, mostly plants, really is um, evidence based, and we don't have to quibble too much. I also like to say you know there's no good there's no bad it's about discernment and moderation mm -hmm. and you know our own preferences and and also you know our uniqueness what feels good to us um so so i like to you know i like to dispel some of those myths and in particular a lot of the anxiety because you know if you eat real food that looks the way it did when it came out of the ground or you know, came from the animal and half the plate is vegetables, you know, which I think more and more people are becoming familiar with that kind of healthy plate model mm -hmm. that you're covered. You're really, mm -hmm. you're, you're mm -hmm. covered. Throw some olive oil in there. It's, it's good. And if you have an Oreo, you don't need to put yourself it, in a seclusion area. Absolutely. 
absolutely, absolutely. Um, people are sometimes I give you know I talk a lot about sugar sometimes, and people will be shocked to hear that I have even a little added sugar every day. You know, yeah. probably I, it's we can we can tolerate a lot, and we don't want to get so wacky in our desire to be healthy that we're actually causing problems for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, yes, yeah. dispelling anxiety is, is, a, is, is definitely a desire of mine. I was very curious to read recently that the anxiety around eating a so-called non-clean food or a bad food um, it causes more problems and more distress to the body than the actual food. It, it can, and that's, um, yeah, re, you know, and, and I don't want people who are worrying about food to worry about their worry about food, <laughs> you know, it's right. almost just like a wake-up call to, to trust the body. This is where I'm so grateful for my medical education because, boy, are we complex, mm -hmm. and boy, are we resilient. And to just, um, you know, try to remember that and, and remember that food is a source of pleasure mm -hmm. and culture mm -hmm. and comfort. And that's just as important as this kind of, you know, reductive food is medicine mm -hmm. approach. So, People can yeah. get so hyper-focused on it. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's an easy thing to get, as you say, wacky about because there's, you know, we're living in some pretty disturbing times and I yeah, think yeah. it can be very comforting to say you know I'm not eating any carbs today and I'm not eating right. any sugar and it all right. has to be kale you right. know what a right. love <laughs> you know right. that's a lot um, more uh, I think calming to think about and yeah. helpful to control than you know what's happening in North Korea right so, right, yeah, right, right. But but then, you know, are there harms from that approach too? And so, yeah, if I can make people feel good about their little couple of squares of dark chocolate, mm. great. I've, I've done a good thing for the day. Hello, Zestful Agers. First, I want to thank you so much for your enthusiasm and interest in the podcast. Words cannot really describe how fun it is to make this for you. We are now in the tens of thousands of downloads and Zestful Aging is still very young. We've heard from inspiring women from all over the world and I hope it has made your life richer and helped you be more zestful as you navigate aging. In addition to being fun, making a weekly podcast is a surprising amount of work. So I want to encourage you to become a patron today. It's the way I can continue bringing you in-depth, thought-provoking interviews without sponsorship, aka commercials. And I've added a special free gift just for being a listener to the podcast. It's called my best ever self-care manual. And again, it's based on research and my 25 years experience as a psychotherapist. So hop on over to patreon.com slash zestful aging and download the free manual. And while you're there, donate what you might pay for your cup of coffee today. It will make you feel good. I promise. 
That's wonderful. Can you talk specifically about bone health? You have a retreat coming up at the end of August, and I know a lot of people post-middle age worry about their bones. We've been We've been uh, talked to about right, calcium right, and right. making sure, you know, your bones don't break in half. And it's just sort of another thing on the worry list. Can you talk exactly. a little bit and put some yeah. perspective around really where should we be putting our energy right now? Yeah, thank you. So, so the first thing, you know, I like to put the whole discussion of osteoporosis um, and bone health in context. And the first thing that I want to just remind people is that, you know, the lightening of the bones, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of um, bone mass as we age is a normal part of aging. So, you know, this is just a pattern that we see over time. And there are lovely graphs showing that, you know, during childhood, we're building bone mass and bone length and, you know, over our 20s, the length stays preserved, but we're still accruing some mass. And then, you know, for most of us, once we hit 30, we and this is true for men and women, for women, it the loss drops off a little bit more sharply after menopause. But for all of us, this slow, you know, kind of decline after the, our, you know, our 30s is normal. So it's expected. So there's nothing pathologic about bone loss as we age. This is, and this is why I pair with um, the dean of Kripalu's School of Ayurveda. Um, Ayurveda, if people aren't familiar with it, is um, we like to call it the sister science of yoga. It's, a, it's the uh, traditional medicine of India. And it's very lifestyle-based, very preventive, very lovely, um, often intuitive and poetic way of, of thinking about um, not just what we eat, um, but kind of how we move through our day, how we think, uh, very intertwined with yogic principles. And for thousands of years, they've had a framework for this lightening as we get older. And so they haven't worried about it the way we kind of panic about this loss of bone. They just see it, well, this just makes sense. It's just part of aging. We get lighter. And so, so just remembering that, um, I think, can be helpful. And the other thing that I um, you know, want to help people with is just remembering what the problem really is and where our focus on and where we even started to even talk and define osteoporosis came out of the observation around hip fractures in particular and noting an association between hip fractures in the elderly and and um, risk of mortality that there was some, that this was really something to be concerned about that when people who were you know kind of frail and elderly broke their hip that was actually a pretty serious condition and and the risk of dying within the next 6 months uh, seemed to go up and so the focus was really about that um, that finding and so you know kind of what is this about and how can we prevent hip fractures in particular. I see. So it, 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 
it, do you think that there was a way in which um, we got a little off course here, that it was about hip fractures and perhaps hospitalization and perhaps infection and perhaps sort of a cascade of other problems, and then we got really focused on osteoporosis? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that happened is, you know, we kind of, by looking into well, why, you know, why has this happened? Why are some women fracturing? Um, and then a tool was developed to try to figure out why that might be, and that's where the bone scan came out of. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the other things that I like to, you know, just kind of remind people is that bone density is just a proxy measurement for bone mass. It doesn't measure the strength or resilience of bones, right? Mm. So if we picture, you know, if we realize that bone loss is a normal part of aging and we kind of picture the most agile, you know, elderly woman we can think of, you know, her bones are smaller, you know, or less dense than they were when she was 30, but they may still be strong and resilient. Um, it's, do you see what I'm saying, right? Yes. So, so there are kind of all these steps that happened along the way. So, so the screening tool is measuring something that's important, but is not the only risk factor. And so I want to share from, uh, share with you some data, a study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at risk factors for hip fracture. Mm -hmm. And there were some um, uh, limitations to the study. It was done mostly in Caucasian women because white women have a higher risk of um, both osteoporosis and are more likely to fracture. But what often surprises people is learning that low bone density is just one of many risk factors mm -hmm. um, for hip fracture. And again, it was really hip fracture that we were worried about that we can have low bone density and and um, and still be healthy and okay and so things like ingesting a lot of caffeine so usually more than like four cups of coffee a day smoking mm -hmm. um, spending four hours uh, or less of their day on their feet so being very sedentary mm -hmm. having hyperthyroidism or taking um, what we call these long-acting benzodiazepines. I'm sure in your work you're very familiar with these. Mm -hmm. These are treatments for insomnia and anxiety, mm -hmm. like uh, lorazepam. Mm -hmm. So there are medications that put us at risk, along with things that we don't have. You know, so all of that we have, you know, a certain amount often of control over. And then there are things that we can't control, like our our family history, um, whether or not we're tall. And one of the things that I like about bone health, because we have such a fixation on being um, thin in this culture, and that actually gaining weight uh, after the age of 25 helps our bone health. Mm. So let's hear it for a happy story on weight gain, because we never get to hear those. Um, so yeah, so weight loss or being too slender um, can be a risk factor. So just really putting it in context, and actually if you look at the graph, which unfortunately I can't you know, show you because we're talking, <laughs> but it's these other, it's, the, it's how many risk factors are present is much, much more important 
than the bone density itself. That's fascinating. In terms of our risk. And so mm -hmm. that's what I like to really start with in this program. And like, let's, let's think about that and let's look at the risk factors and what do we have um, control over? And even more importantly, how do we stay healthy and strong? How do we prevent falls? Let's, mm -hmm. let's put it back again onto, onto mm -hmm. the, the real thing, which is avoiding, you know, keeping ourselves strong and healthy, and then also avoiding the situations that might make us fall and fracture and not obsessing about a single measurement, you know, i.e. bone density, which may or may not actually tell us how strong or resilient our remaining bone tissue is. So does that make sense? It, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it makes me wonder about all the advertisements we see and even celebrity endorsements um, right. for like Fosomax and all right. of these things. And it makes me wonder if this kind of became a thing because, not to sound too cynical, but the you know, pharmacology might right. say, hey, we right. have a pill for that. Right, right, okay. exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. Now, can you talk a little bit about, we, we looked at risk factors. Talk a little bit about what we can do to, um, in terms of prevention. I know that, especially as uh, a person who works at Kripalu, you know a lot about nutrition and exercise. Can, can you sort of weave those together? What kind of, what are the general um, recommendations you can make for us? Right. Well, I'll start with movement because there's so much, you know, beautiful um, data on this that really staying active, that exercising for at least about 150 minutes a week is really important, not just for um, preventing hip fractures and preserving bone density, but for preventing pretty much all of the chronic diseases, you know, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. It keeps our blood pressure regulated. It helps us maintain weight loss if that was something we were interested in. It's actually, you probably know this, I'm sure it's a very good treatment for um, you know, moderate or mild depression mm -hmm. and anxiety. Absolutely. You know, so it's just... Even ADD, too. Yeah, you know, we're yes, yeah. yeah. So, so that is so important. And then kind of, so, and, you know, some people, the, you know, and, you know, again, we just get so anxious and worried. And, and I see women, you know, trying to lift weights all the time because they, they hear yes. that weight bearing is really yes. What's, yes, yes. what's needed. And, you know, I hate those those little hand weights. And, and <laughs> so walking, walking okay. is weight bearing. Exercise, yoga postures where you're holding up, you know, your own body weight and you're holding up your arms. That's weight bearing. Um, jumping rope. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, we can do, you know, kind of moderate impact that doesn't require a gym or oh. any purchases. We can You're speaking to the the choir, right? You're yeah, singing yeah, to the choir. Yeah, now yeah. let me just ask you, this is 
purely selfish because I've been a walker since it wasn't even cool uh, when I was walking. Um, But now we hear a lot about, well, you should get your heart rate up and then you can walk and can you talk and walk? Are you breathing hard? I mean, basically, I'm looking at a moderate pace with at least one dog with me. So there's got to be some stopping and picking up tennis balls and other assorted things, you know, you have to pick up. Um, Is that in the ballpark or are there, there's more to think about when you recommend walking? Oh my goodness. No. I mean, for, you know, because I work, I work with people who are, you know, really quite out of shape and deconditioned. So I start with a very low bar and any walking, I'm just excited if people get out there regardless of the pace, because you know what I had just mentioned before, sitting, sitting is a risk factor. So any movement starts to put us in the right direction. And then most of the data is really around this magic number of like 150 to 180 minutes of moderate or moderate to vigorous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're like you just said, like, you know, we can keep up a conversation. We might take a breath or two in the middle of speaking. That is enough. If people are, some people are fitness nuts and they want to get into high intensity interval training and there's some data mm-hmm. on that. And I say, God bless them. But, uh, you know, just the 150 minutes of walking, there's so much beautiful data behind it. That is sufficient. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love to ask people, what's the best kind of exercise? And of course, the answer is the one that you like to do. Oh, yes. Right? Because oh. that's, then it's a habit and, oh. and we actually do it. So I, yes, you're, it sounds like you're doing great. Yeah, well, you know, I have my own. I, I I interviewed Florence Williams, who wrote this beautiful book about. Uh, it's called Nature Fix, and I and mm-hmm, I recommended mm-hmm, it to mm-hmm, one of mm-hmm. your colleagues. Yes. And uh, the health of getting outside, forgetting about if you're walking or sitting on a bench, yes, is yes. so profound. Yes, that that's worth the price of admission right there. So I'm a big fan of outside, fresh air, sunshine, and and dog walks. Right. And and you had mentioned the um, ADHD study. I also, I have a talk on the science of forest therapy or being outside. So I am am with you 100%. Mm -hmm. And another piece of this for bone health is sunshine is is getting out in the sun you know there's some data on taking vitamin d as a supplement but the best studies really show sunlight exposure as being protective Mm -hmm. so i tell my folks um 15 minutes on the face and arms most days uh in new england that for those of us who live here that's Mm -hmm. uh between may and september and that's without sunscreen. Okay. The sunscreen really keeps the body from um, making use of the sunlight and, and creating our own vitamin D. And so for people who burn, they're going to want those early morning hours before 10 mm-hmm. or the afternoon hours after 4 so that they don't get sunburns. But we really need that time in the sun without mm-hmm. sunscreen. Not a ton of hours, you know, just 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Most days, and we should be able to create the vitamin D that we need. And there's good studies out of um, 
out of Scandinavia, probably not surprisingly, because sunlight is, is a limited resource there, mm -hmm. um, about the importance of getting out. And for those of us who live above uh, Atlanta, Georgia, we probably want to take some vitamin D during the winter when we can't make as much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 2,000 a day, or I encourage people to actually find out what their levels are in mm -hmm. November mm -hmm. so that they can make sure they're getting their levels up above 30. Okay, that's really helpful. So, you know, what I love about this, Lisa, is all of this makes so much sense. <laughs> right. And it's just like going right. back to the basics right. of, right. you know, healthy nutrition, treating your body right. the way it was meant, you know, because bodies, right. of course, are made to move. Right. And, you know, there's a simplicity about it. And it's just a sensibility that I yes. think is so refreshing. I mean, I always tell the story of, you know, getting the fancy blender and I'm blending raw kale and <laughs> coconut oil and all this right. stuff. And I went to my doctor and, you know, she knows me. She knows what I do. She just laughed at me yeah. and she said, you are not supposed to be eating 15 vegetables that are ground. No wonder you have a stomach ache, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but, right, um, right. you know, just this real uh, sort of th this very, very basic idea of, this is what we need to stay healthy, prevent disease. And even if you do get disease, um, this would be a very beneficial plan. Yeah. And, you know, it'll, again, it'll help the things that we recommend the, you know, the mostly plants diet. If you're, you know, if you like a little bit of meat as a garnish, fine. I don't mm -hmm. think we have to go, uh, you know, again, crazy on vegetarian versus vegan. Um, and 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 taking the time to really enjoy it mm -hmm. and and moving and being connected to one another and we're going to help our bones but again we're going to all of the worrisome diseases of aging we're going to improve our risk of you know, i mean uh, you know like lower our risk for dementia um and and certain cancers and diabetes so it's it's mm -hmm. it's just a good thing to do and like you said it's common sense so all of the we don't have to be specific for bone health mm -hmm. we can follow the recommendations of the american heart association mm -hmm. and that's going to keep our our bones healthy too the mm -hmm. one um the one thing that is a little bit, I do love to, you know, sometimes talk about coffee and alcohol and chocolate because people are so interested yes. <laughs> in those. And, and I have, I'm a big coffee drinker. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to be honest that um, bone health is one of the area, areas where it does seem that we have to be a little bit more moderate than maybe we want to. Okay. With things like diabetes, the studies show you can have five cups a day and you're just going to keep reducing your risk. Uh -oh. But with, with bones, it looks like one cup of coffee a day, maybe four cups of tea because that has less um, caffeine in it. So certain things we have to tweak a little bit, but the basic recommendations um, stay the same across all the, all the diseases we're trying to avoid. And I'm going to say the most obvious thing, and I can only imagine you might be rolling your eyes, but no soda, no diet oh, soda. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. I mean, it's not, um, I don't drink it and I haven't for years. So I actually forget sometimes mm -hmm. that people need to hear that. Yeah. The, especially the sugar sweetened, really any sugar sweetened 
beverage and it's kind of good that you brought up smoothies because um, you know I think we we've gotten the message around soda but they sell these and you know concentrated fruit juice is not great for our bodies either you know these fiberless concoctions so I really caution people against you know the lemonades the fruit juices the mm -hmm. bottled smoothies the bottled fruit fruit juices and you know just water Learn to love water. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember being in line uh, at Kripalu uh, for coffee in the morning and celebrating the fact that I don't know what, what, what it's like. I haven't been there in a few years, but I actually met a woman that became a friend of mine as we were sitting, standing in line at the coffee counter saying, thank goodness that they uh, now have coffee and you can buy it. Um, I know back in the old days, it wasn't even offered. Yeah. So now this might be news to you. Now they give it for free during breakfast. Isn't that great? Oh, that is <laughs> we, that's yeah. wonderful. You listened. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did the evaluations. It was the number one uh, yeah. negative evaluation. And we actually had a summit, all the health providers associated with Kripalu. We did a little evidence review. Oh and, um, you know, again, it's, it lowers the risk of liver cancer, type mm. two diabetes. There are positives. Mm -hmm. um, certainly for some people, you know, this is where it gets individual. People may find it makes them more anxious or stomach ache, you know, so sure. this is where it has to be because we love it. Um, and not, I would never tell anyone to drink coffee as a health beverage. Mm. Um, but I also think that if we love it, we can enjoy that delicious one cup a day. Could you talk just for a moment about your retreat, uh, what it's called and when it will be held? Sure. So it's um, going to be August 26th to the 28th. I think it's a, um, a Sunday to a Tuesday. And we call it Resilient Bone Health. And it's really an integrated program where I'm going to go in depth about many of the topics that I uh, discussed with you today. I really, I present the Western data, the studies showing different risk factors and how that impact, impacts our bone health. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the nutrients and how we can get them. Again, not just the calcium and the vitamin D, but, but all of the different nutrients and phytochemicals and minerals involved. And then Aaron talks about the Ayurvedic framework, which so many people find fascinating and intuitive, um, and the critical role of stress reduction. You know, one of the one of the medicines that erodes our bones are corticosteroids. Hmm. So when we think about stress and stress hormones and the way that our body can produce cortisol, you know, that's a potential pathway. It hasn't really been studied, uh, but where really excessive stress could be an, an, another risk factor for our bones. So we really encourage self-care we really encourage slowing down doing things that you enjoy and the mm -hmm. whole picture not just nutrition and exercise but again social connection mm -hmm. supportive people in our lives finding meaning mm -hmm. having you know having pets somewhere I, I don't know that that's in the curriculum but i always mention that absolutely you're critters we love yes yes yeah yep so that, that's what we talk about, and there's time to um, experiment. Erin does some recipes. 
uh, a, a lovely little treat that has a lot of sesame, which is a non-dairy way to get calcium that a lot of people don't know about. Um, so she shares recipes and does yoga with people and it's it's great fun. We have a it good time. It sounds lovely. It sounds like you hit a lot of points here, not just bone, but the whole person. And that's yes. what, of course, Kripalo is known for. Yes, and yes. Then, and, yeah. and Aaron does a little self-massage, too, on one of the oh nights, and that's just goodness. lovely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, um, and people can find that at Kripalo.org? Sure, sure. Okay. You can go to my presenter page. My, uh, I think I'm listed as Lisa B. Nelson, um, mm -hmm. and the program will be on there, or they can um, enter the search term, Building Resilient Bones, and it mm -hmm. should pop right up. And I'm going to spell Kripalu for people who don't know about it. It's K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. And it is a treat, I will tell you, from being there. I always joke you go for the program, but you stay for the food. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. I've never yes. seen so many avocados in one place. <laughs> right. And it's Lovely. so nice to, uh, so to have nice. someone else cook your leafy greens because oh, those goodness. are very time consuming. So to have a whole, yeah. you know, bin at every meal is just delightful. It's delightful. Any other last words, Lisa, that you want to share before we say goodbye today? Um, I think just specific on, um, and I think you might appreciate this given your, your interest in time outside, and this isn't evidence-based, but I like to encourage people as we age to still spend time barefoot hmm. because spending time barefoot, we get to work all those, um, you know, bones and muscles of the feet and we can stretch our toes and and really work on our balance. This is going back to the balance and agility piece. Ah. And because one of the things that happens as we get older is everybody wears those sneakers. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and we and and there's some concern. And again, but there hasn't been a lot of um, good randomized pr prospective studies about it. But if we're not getting good sensory input to our feet, if we're not um, challenging our feet with subtle changes in our terrain that the, we're probably losing some of the um, proprioception and mechanisms for balance. So I really encourage people to walk around their house barefoot if they feel comfortable, to do their yoga barefoot, mm -hmm. maybe even to step outside in their yard and just stretch their toes. And um, so that can be just fun, again, because kids love to be barefoot. So why should that change as we age? And, and to think about foot health and, again, balance and agility as a as a key piece of this whole puzzle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, very, very helpful. And I think I'm hearing birds in the background, which is... Oh, oh, from my end yes, here? Oh, is... yeah. Great. Yes, I do have my door open. We're trying to let nature into the house. That is so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a... Another, another yeah. piece of health yeah. is listening to the birds. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time today and giving us a lot of concrete ways to help our general health and then within that our bone health, but not to get too over-focused and, and, and frightened, but sort of taking a much broader view of how can I help myself stay healthy and prevent disease. Yes. Well, thank you so much. 
I really appreciated this. It was fun to talk with you. Good. Good luck on your uh, retreat. Thanks. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. I would also greatly appreciate if you could hop on iTunes and rate the show. Ratings help other people find the podcast so I can share all these good juicy interviews with others. I would also invite you to become a patron of the Zestful Aging Podcast. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and consider making a small donation. You will be eligible for insider-only goodies and behind-the-scenes information, and it'll help you feel good knowing that you're contributing to the Zestful Aging podcast. I'll look forward to sharing more juicy interviews next week on Zestful Aging.